This morning, I want to carry on along the line that, that we do all matter and that everyone can be and should be involved. And the title of my message this morning is just Modern Day Priests. We all actually are modern day priests. And, and there's, a, there's a wrong philosophy that sometimes exists in the life of the church that, that, that think that priesthood is just for those that stand up on a, mic, on a, on a stage with a microphone on a Sunday. And so... We introduced to this, and, and actually last year we touched on it in Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, where God said, the reason I brought you out of Egypt, he's just, at that moment he says, I brought you for myself, the whole story that we've been focusing on, God bringing the people, his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, as he said, I want them to be a kingdom of priests, and they're going to belong to me, and they're going to minister unto me. And so your reason for existence is not to just make a name for yourself and to perhaps try to carry on the name that your forefathers have, have established and say, oh, I'm going to be faithful with what they've done and who they have been. But our purpose on earth is related to the fact that we are priests unto the Lord, as it says in Exodus 19. Then uh, two weeks ago, we, we looked at the building in which these priests ought to operate, which is in the... Uh, Exodus context called the tabernacle, and we just looked at what it, what it should have looked like and should have been built to be, and, and God gave clear instructions on how the tabernacle, the place in which these um, people were to function, the priests. And then we also see in Exodus chapter 28, and you can go read through it at your own time, Moses is told what they should wear. When they go into this building or this tabernacle, and we call them the priestly garments, a very particular detail is given to how they should dress, because God had a reason for that. And today we're going to stop at chapter, chapter 29, and we're going to actually look at um, how the priest came into being ordained. Because now the building is there, tabernacle has been prepared, the garments have been prepared, the only thing we still need is the people. Isn't it amazing that, that we can have these fancy buildings? We can have the beautiful inside of the buildings decorated and, and amazingly prepared. But if there's no people, it's just a museum. And that's unfortunately what's happening in Europe, by the way. You see beautiful buildings that were built in the 14, 15, 1600s, church buildings where people ought to, used to worship, they'd become museums. The only reason people go to them nowadays is they actually pay to enter and to go look at these cathedrals. I've been in a few. And actually, it's just, I don't enjoy going in there because it feels lifeless. I feel more life, yeah, <laughs> without all the, you know, the stuff hanging around because the people of God are present. I think we place too much emphasis on the buildings and the, in the, in the interior and the functionality of the buildings instead of the people. So that's why we want to talk about being modern day priests. No longer are we going to just celebrate buildings and praise the Lord for a property. But that's not our identity. That's just a place of function. That we want to make a difference in this place and in this country. And so... We really need to realize that, that all of this is pointing towards the fulfillment of something that you and I are part of. So again, it's wonderful to look at 
You know, the tabernacle, it's great to see what garments ought to have been worn. It's great to see how these priests were ordained. But it actually points to you and me today. And how you and I ought to function. Because everything in the Old Testament is but a shadow of what we find in the New Testament. You know the shadow is not the real thing. Hey? You go outside. I can see shadows over there. I don't know which tree it's from. But it's not the real thing. That's just a shadow. And that shadow is going to move as the sun moves. But the real thing is what we find in the New Testament. But it is beautiful. And hence our journey through Exodus is helping us to see. But the shadow of what is to come. And what you and I are part of today. And so we're going to read from Exodus 29. So let's go there. I hope you've, you've found it already. Exodus chapter 29, it says from verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. So we've gone through the building, we've gone through the garments, now we get to the actual people. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cake, mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil and you shall make them a fine wheat flour and you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams and then it says the following you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent by the way his sons are mentioned earlier on it's the sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar four sons that he had and God is speaking and saying, I want these sons, Aaron and his sons, to now be prepared to be priests unto, unto God. And so it says, first of all, there in verse 4, that they needed to be washed. So bring them to the entrance of the tent of meeting where God's presence is inside. But before they can go in, you're not allowed to let them go in before, it says here, they are washed. So there's this basin outside of the tent where before they go in, they needed to be washed. And in Exodus 30, we, we see in verse 17, let me just quickly take you there, just the seriousness of this moment. It's not just, oh, well, they may have a bit of mud on their hands <laughs> and it's not great to go in with mud on their hands and some dust on their feet. No, no, this is a life and death moment. Listen to what it says in verse 17, Exodus 30. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of, of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it which with, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near that altar to minister to burn a food offering, they shall wash with water. Oh, by the way, it's just a minor thing. no. It's serious. Look at what it says further on. So that they may not die. Okay. I'm taking note now, God. If I was Aaron's. Like, just those few extra words that massively changes my mind about this washing moment. It says in verse 24, They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. <laughs> it shall be a statue forever to them. So indeed, God is saying, if you come to me, I'm holy. You're not. You cannot come to me unless you are washed. And so the first thing that we see that is supposed to be done to these priests is that 
They are supposed to be washed. Now we know that this is ceremonial cleansing. It cannot wash their hearts. We know that, the, again, it's a shadow of what is to come. The real cleansing take place, takes place through something else and someone else. And we're going to get to that just now. But this is something that is instituted that God said, because I'm holy and you're full of sin, you cannot come to me unless you are washed. By the way, this is where baptism comes in. This is a beautiful picture again of what ultimately when we are saved and, and, and we believe that we follow Christ in, in obedience, baptism is part of that process. Baptism doesn't cleanse us. So don't think that any particular water, by the way, some people get baptized in some dirty water. It's like, oh, that's not helpful. No, no, it's not about the water. It's about the symbolic act of obedience and saying, God, when I go through the waters of baptism, it, it signifies that I'm washed clean of my past and I come out and I'm a new person. It's just a good ad there for baptism if you're considering that. The second thing that we see here in verses 5 of chapter 29, going back there, it says, Then you shall take the garments... And put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod. Now these garments that were specifically detailed in chapter 28. It says, now take these things and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. So here we see that, um, that they need to be clothed with something. That in a sense makes them be identifiable as priests, because he's want this nice t-shirts, um, you know, whatever, latest priest or whatever it is that you want to see, you know, put on the t-shirt. That was heavy garments that they wore so that the people could see they are. And there's so much symbolism in what they had to wear because they were representing the 12 tribes and etc. etc. And so these things were to be worn. And so they could easily be identified as, how oh, those are the priests. I can see they, they dressed in a priestly garment. And, and, and again, it, it points towards something else that would later be fulfilled. Then it says in verse 7, as we hasten on, it says, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. So we've seen that they had to be cleansed, they had to be clothed, now they have to be anointed. The anointing again, it speaks of the divine enablement that they were to receive to do what God has called them to do. They couldn't do this on their own. The oil speaks of the presence of God, presence of Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, symbolic picture of that. And so, before they could start with their work, they had to be cleansed, they had to be clothed, they had to be anointed, so that they will be able to go and do. And then we see in verse 8, then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus, now comes the actual confirmation that they're going to be doing what they were supposed to do and called to do. Thus, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. That's it. I mean, what is so interesting about all of this is that these were people that were all slaves before. They'd come out of slavery. They'd been rescued by God supernaturally. We've seen that in our journey through Exodus. But nowhere do we see that these, were peop these particular people were prepared for this. That they went to some special school of 
priesthood. They were chosen to be that. They were separated and called to come and be cleansed and be clothed and to be anointed. And then immediately God says, that's it. Go and be what I've called you to be. Because we see in verse 10, it happens. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. And then you see how Aaron and his sons get involved in the dirty business of killing stuff and slaughtering and altar stuff and sacrifices and all those things. They get involved in what they're supposed to be doing. They were called. They were cleansed. They were clothed. And they were anointed. And there you go. Go and do what you're supposed to do. And we're like, are they really prepared? Do they really know what's coming? Are they capable? Are they qualified? Are they skilled? Are they knowledgeable? Those are all of the things that I would have asked. It takes you kind of back to the, or forward to the disciples where none of them had gone through a process of being prepared to be the followers of Jesus. You sign up and there's a six-month course. No, ain't nothing like that. And yet for these guys, neither. Because God had divinely chosen them, but they had done nothing to qualify themselves. God called them, and God qualified them. And as soon as they went through the process, as explained by God, they started the work. I wonder, though, how much we think we still need to go through before we will start our work <laughs> as followers, as witnesses of Jesus. Uh, just, 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 you know, a little bit more, God. I just got to learn a little bit more. I've got to just attend more and I've got to just go through this thing first and I, I don't know enough and I can't quote two verses at the same time and I just, I just don't feel like I'm ready. But yeah, we see just the opposite called, cleansed, clothed, anointed. Boom, there you go, buddy, do your work. I'm getting to you still. We're just looking at these guys first. <laughs> we notice that from verses 1 to 9, it's the work of God. Then from verses 10 onward, the work of God is done. The work of God in me, and then the work of God through me. I think we often stop and wait for more work of God to be done in me before I am be willing and available for the work of God to be done through me. And I'm like, what more should be done? And I'm speaking to myself because the work of Christ has been done. Jesus, when he said, what did he say? He said, it is finished. The complete work that needed to be done for you and me to get saved and, and then out of being saved we get called into doing the work of God. It's all been done. So what are we waiting for? If we say it's not enough then we're saying and to Jesus actually there's more work that needs to be done and we're saying that you said on the cross is not the truth. I still need something more to be done and my, my disobedience to get my hands dirty and reach out to people and be witnesses and be involved in, in serving others and, and, and making a difference in this world is all related to petty excuses because the work is complete. It's all been done. It's all finished. <laughs> it's now the work of God 
through us because the God, work of God for us has been done. Verses 1 to 9 is really that. And so I think we do get a bit stuck at um, expecting more work to be done in us. And praise the Lord for more work to be done in us. The sanctification work is always going to be part of our lives. But justification, big word, big word. It's in one moment, it's in one act where Jesus has done it all. He took me out of darkness and put me into light. He took me out of my sin and put me into a place of righteousness where I can live for him. That's once in, 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 in just in one moment. Sanctification where I become more like him. That's going to happen until I die. But Jesus doesn't say, until you become more holy and better, then I can only use you. He says, justification. What's what he done here? He says, I've clothed you, I've called you, I've anointed you, I've cleansed you. You can be used. That's for all of us. And look at what else they did, by the way. And in case you think that this was just a silly little, you know, kill a few animals every day and put them on the altar and you know, eat the leftovers afterwards or something like that. In Deuteronomy, let me take you there. Just something about what it meant to be priest. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 20, it's God speaking. It says, verse 1, when you go out to war, say with me, war. There's a bit of a war out there, isn't it? I'm not talking about being between you and your wife, hopefully not. But it's just a real spiritual war out there. It says, when you go out to war against your enemies... And see horses and chariots and an army larger. Say with me, larger. Now, sometimes we are faced with things larger than what we could handle. It says, larger than your own. You shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you. And it says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest. Say with me, priest. Because now you're all going to be included in this, eh? You're not ready for that. It says the priest will come forward and speak to the people. Because now we're in a situation, it's war. And, and the people out there, they are more, the army is larger than what we have. And I'm intimidated by this. It says the priest will come and say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you're drawing near for battle against your enemies. Like, yeah, I know that, buddy. That's very helpful to have that information. No, no, he says more. It says, when you speak to them, it says, today you're drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. That's what the priest ought to be saying. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. These words should be coming from the priests. And giving them the confidence. And going out there because, no, they don't have all the knowledge and the skills. They haven't studied things to be able to say these words. They just know God. They've been in God's presence. Remember, these were the people that were going to the Holy of Holies and the high priest would do that and the priest would come into his presence and engage God. Could it be that in our moments of engaging God, God would bring this kind of faith and stability and confidence into our hearts. And so how many of us would have the confidence today to say, here O children, here my children, here O children in my class, or here O colleagues at work, or here my boss, 
I want to say to you, don't be fearful because God is with us. So what does this mean to us as, as modern day priests then today? The New Testament relevance for us today is let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. So we've read just about how Aaron and his sons were ordained and how they were prepared by God. It's a simple process. We firstly need to understand that we have a better high priest than what Aaron could ever be. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, read with me the following. Because this high priest is the one that enables us to actually be these modern day priests that we ought to be. Verse 14, Hebrews 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And I believe it's a confession of hope. It's a confession of faith. It's a confession of he's in control. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we, as we are yet without sin. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is the high priest that you and I have today. Different than Aaron or his sons. Much better. And so we have greater confidence that what was a shadow in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus coming to die for us and take our sins and there's no more sacrifice needed. Because the sacred Hebrew says, it's a beautiful picture, Hebrews, of the fulfillment that comes through Christ. And you can read through it. But Jesus is clearly the one who is the better sacrifice. That no longer do we need to wait for the a priest or a high priest to sacrifice animals on our behalf for the um, forgiveness of our sins and the removal of it. One act of grace, supernatural act of sacrifice that Jesus brought about had meant that we forever cleansed. And so what those four things, for instance, that the, um, the priest went through, Aaron and his son, we find that Jesus has come to do the same for us. He has washed us. Remember when they had to wash themselves before they could go into the presence of God? Today, you and I, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, what he has done for us is he has washed us clean from our sins. He speaks of freedom from sin. We needed somebody that could not only wash our hands and feet, but our souls and our hearts. And we see that in Ezekiel 36, from verse 25 to 26, 27 onwards, God is speaking. He says, I'm going to come and do such a work in your heart that it will take the heart of flesh, away, or the heart of stone away, and, and give you a heart of flesh. I will cleanse you through what Christ will come to do. And today we can stand before God, we can go into the presence, and there's no physical place that we go to. Remember when we spoke about God with us? God's presence can be enjoyed because He has come to cleanse us. There's no brazen altar or basin that we have to go to. We go to Christ, the one who saves us. And whatever you're battling with in your life, you don't have to go to a place. You go to a person. And he's the one who cleanses us. Not only does he cleanse us, but he also clothes us. Just as what was done to these Old Testament priests. 
Being clothed in Christ is imagery that the New Testament uses to help us understand what Jesus has done for us. Again, a shadow of what was to come. What is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And so the clothing part is there's a fulfillment in Christ. And there's a beautiful story that gives us just an understanding a little bit. We don't have the time to go and read all the verses about what it means to be clothed in righteousness. Where Paul even writes to the Colossians. And, and in Romans he says, you've got you to put off. You've got to put on. And there's a certain way in which we need to clothe ourselves with humility and compassion and kindness. But there's this one story that Jesus shared in Luke chapter 15. With the prodigal son that you know it so well. And as he returned after coming to his senses, his father saw him, the Bible says, and the father ran towards him. And what is the one thing that the father did? He said to his servants, bring my robe and clothe my son. He doesn't deserve to be back. But the father's heart towards him was, I'm going to clothe him so that he will know that he's mine. And there was a big brother that was quite envious and quite upset. We know that. But you know, that's what happens when God clothes us. It's not a physical garment we receive. It is a spiritual acceptance. We, we enjoy, enjoy from him and receive from him. It says, you are mine. So I don't know if you're walking around, in a sense, naked. Without the robe of the Father around you today. When we return to him, we don't have to go and dress up in the amazing technicolor dream coat that Joseph had. But we can be dressed in the Father's robe where he says, I love you, I accept you for who you are. Yes, you made a mistake, but you're back. You belong to me. That's what happens. He clothes us. And then it carries on. By the way, just on that, clothing is quite an interesting thing sometimes in the body of Christ. <laughs> And that we can still live with Old Testament mindset when we come to God. That we think that we ought to dress in priestly garments or some fancy garments to be accepted by, by God or by others. And we're not in any way trying to criticize or to judge people that, that, that love uniforms and love to dress up in a certain way. And here in, at King City Church and most of the people that we, that we connect with, we, we really don't have a dress policy because we don't believe that dress qualifies us. Jesus does. And what he's done on the cross qualifies me. And I want to dress appropriately. I want to dress so that I can respect people and be honorable towards them, but I don't dress so that I can impress. <laughs> and, and there's something of that that often creeps in it's the life of the church where we try to, and I love it when people dress up. I love dresses. I love, I don't particularly love ties. can't say that, but I have worn ties and I'll wear a tie if I need to. If I go into an environment where I believe that it's the right thing to do to honor the people that have invited me, I'll dress up in a tie. But I don't believe that I need to before God. And so we are quite relaxed here. And so if you've come from an environment where you feel like the dress code has been 
press down hard upon you. We don't want in any way try to you know, disqualify the place that you're from, but we want you to be relaxed. We want you to be yourself and realize that the most important dress that you can receive or garment is a robe of the Father, which is imagery, which is symbolic of his acceptance. And nothing that I could ever do would make me more impressive before the Father. In actual fact, I can try hard, but it will never be enough because what Jesus has done is enough. And so I put my hope in him. So please be relaxed about dress. Amen? So the third thing we see is that as the priests were anointed, you and I also anointed, which really means to be set apart, spiritually enabled to do what you and I can and should do in God. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 just how this helps us understand what, um, what we're able to do in God. It says in chapter 1, verse 20, 2 Corinthians, it says, For all the promises of a God find their yes in Him. Everything's confirmed in Him. That is why it is brought through, uh, that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it says in verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And has anointed us, and has also put his seal on us, and has given us his spirit in our hearts as guarantee. So God is the one who has anointed us, who has spiritually enabled us to be his witnesses. So all of us would say, God, I don't know if I could ever do what you call me to do. And that's fine, but we don't stay there. We dig deep into scripture and we say, but God, you have anointed us. Jesus, by the way, when he stood up, his first preach was, Isaiah 61 verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach. And he has anointed me to do whatever it is. And so you and I have that same confession that we ought to make. But it's not just a confession. It's a reality that ought to be outlived. That the anointing of God's Spirit is upon me. I can be a father. I can be a mother. I can be a student. I can be a lecturer. I can be a teacher. I can be whatever. God has called you to. Because His Spirit is upon you. And we appreciate the continuous work of God in us. But we don't wait for a specific day when we get involved in the work of God through us. He has anointed us. We are able. And then finally, it says we have been ordained. <laughs> and all of the above, the, the fact that we have been cleansed, washed clean by Jesus, the fact that we have been clothed by Christ and in Christ, the fact that he has anointed us, enables us now to go and do the work. Do the work. Revelation 1 verse 6 talks about the fact that we have been called to be priests. We are modern day priests. We don't go around with titles, but we go around with a heart to minister unto God, to minister unto his people as best we can do because we don't do it on our own strength. And finally, I just want to give you some simple pointers of what does it look like then when we function as New Testament priests? What does it look like? We don't, we don't stand out because of our dress code. We don't have things on our heads and we don't go around with whatever and to identify that we are a New Testament priest. And by the way, we have different functions I'm a New Testament priest and you're one too. 
I have a different function, and we'll still talk about that in the next week or so. But the point is this, that we all are New Testament priests. The first thing I want to give to you, and these will be available on the notes, it is someone who has a relationship with God and pursues Him on their own without firstly depending on others. That's a New Testament priest. You can pursue God, you can enjoy God, you can experience God without somebody else. And praise the Lord for others. I'm not saying now you can go on your own. I'm just saying that a New Testament priest does not need others, first of all. They've got God. And you pursue God and you enjoy God and you experience and grow in Him. The second thing I want to say about a New Testament priest is someone who believes that he or she has the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. There's not a medium that you have to go through. There's not another person that you've got to consult first. And it is good. Bible says a counsel of many, there's wisdom. But first of all, a New Testament priest is someone who can take up Scripture, read it, study it, interpret it through the guidance of Holy Spirit, and apply it in their lives without having to say, oh, I've got to go first see the bishop. Oh, I've got to go first see the pastor. Oh, I can't, I shouldn't, I cannot. No. You're supposed to do it on your own. There's this beautiful example in Acts 17, 11, where, where the Bereans were, were, were studying the word for themselves. They had received it, but they were trying to dig deeper into it themselves. So you've got to do that. Come on. And we help one another. Sundays are helpful for us to get together and to be stirred. But during the week, you've got to go dig deep into it. That's why we often say, you take this stuff that we're talking about on Sundays and don't just go and file it or don't even think about it. Go and read through it. And go and see what we say is actually the truth or not. Because, I mean, we're human beings. We all make mistakes. So don't just, oh, the pastor said. No, no, no. What does the scripture say? You dig deep into that, my friend. And that'll be a, a sure sign that you're growing as a New Testament priest. The third thing I want to say about this, it is someone who fulfills their priestly function to God and to others through the way we live our lives. 1 Peter is this beautiful portion that we often quote about, quote from when we talk about priesthood. And I want to just read it to you again. 1 Peter chapter 2, and then there's one more verse, and then we're going to call it a day. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you, you, yo, all of you, okay, all of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Peter is saying to believers. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we want to stop right there. Like, gee, that sounds pretty good, eh? <laughs> I've got some identity. I've got some significance. I've got some, you know, beautiful things about me. God's made me this. This is the work of God in me. The work of God for me. But then there's a work of God through me. That comes. So New Testament priest is that. This one, a person that says the following, I thank the Lord for what he's doing and has done in me, but I'm also so excited about the work that God wants to do through me. Because it says, but you are this chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, that, in order, so that, for this reason, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Not received mercy before, but now you have received mercy. And so it says, beloved, listen to verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, we're just passing through, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct, the work of God through you, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So there's this beautiful thing of God's work in me, what he's done for me, and as a New Testament priest, I marvel at that and I say, thank you, God. But Lord, there's a work that you want to do through me. You want me to proclaim all of these things, the the, the excellencies of him. You want me to keep my conduct honorable. And I sign up for that too. We all want to sign up for the fruit or the, or the blessings. But the fruit of the blessing is an honorable life before God. Lastly, it is someone, second last, it is someone who believes that all believers are equal, a New Testament priest, and that there is no special class of people. There's no differentiation between the value of people, whether it's an archbishop or a bishop or a priest or a senior pastor or a pastor or a reverend or a whatever you want to call it, there's no differentiation between priests and other priests. And so we, we don't need to go to someone, by the way, also to receive affirmation, to, see, to receive acknowledgement, to receive forgiveness for our sins, we go to Christ. He's our better high priest. Amen? So that's how a priest would function. And then lastly, what we want to talk about still is a New Testament priest is someone who also recognizes that local church offices and the Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 gifts, apostles, pastors, prophet, teacher, and evangelist, they're not, they do not belong to a higher office, but that they contribute towards the growth of every believer. We are all priests together, but with different functions. So we have this beautiful thing of, of eldership and, and, and these gifts of the, of the um, Ephesians 4 gifts amongst us to help us all towards our own maturity. We're not one above the other. And so we celebrate that this morning, that we are modern-day priests, all pursuing our work with God, all pursuing it together within a context of different functions. We don't have to dress up to be, expect, to be accepted. We don't have to do anything to, to become more significant than the other. We're all just the same, but different functions. I want to encourage you, please accept the work that the Lord has done in your life, the high priest. He has called you. He has cleansed you. He has clothed you. He has anointed you, and he's also ordained you, calls you his royalty. So accept that and live within the beauty of that and function as a modern day priest without anything special around us, without any title. I've often asked you, please don't call me pastor. I'm just Vessie. I am a pastor in your midst, and I am an elder in your midst. And I have that function. But I do not want to be identified as that. 
I don't call you by your occupation, what you do. I'm just, I'm just Vessi. And I'm not against people that, that have those titles either. I just say, guys, this is who we are. And for me, it creates space that we can come closer to one another without titles and all sorts of fancy things and clothing and whatever else. So, New Testament priests, we're all the same, hey? Modern day priests, that's who you are, that's what I am. Let's pray. God, we, we do want to thank you for just the beauty of what we find in Exodus chapter 29, particularly of how you brought Aaron and his sons into the fulfillment of what you called them to, through cleansing them, through clothing them, through anointing them, and then through releasing them, Lord God. And I pray that each one of us as modern day priests will recognize that we have too been called by you. And we responded. Thank you for that, Lord God. And I pray for more people to respond to the call of God to come into sonship and to daughtership um, into your kingdom. But Lord, I thank you that out of that, you've also cleansed us. You've also come clothed us. You've also anointed us to be priests unto you and priesting amongst each other. And I pray, Father, that we will grow in the, in the truth of that as your people, as a church, and fulfill the, the function that we are to have as modern-day priests in this world. Lord God, and where we need to go out and shout where people are faint, Lord God, and, 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 and weary in their faith, I pray that you will help us to shout and say, Here, O people, here, O citizens of Bulawayo, or wherever it may be, the Lord God is with you. And through that, Lord God, and just simple other means, we will be what you want us to be in this world. I trust for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.